Hello and welcome to another edition of the Richard Haynes Real Estate Show. I am your host, Richard Haynes, real estate broker with Manhattan Pacific Realty here in the South Bay area of Los Angeles. For this episode, we have an amazing guest, Grant Alley, title rep at First American Title. Grant is a wealth of knowledge doing this for over 15 years. In this week's episode, we are helping you understand title nuances and why title insurance is so important. Grant also gives us a great data dump on some local South Bay market information and even some stuff on off-market deals. And then finally, just some general great advice from a guy who's been in the real estate business for almost 20 years. We're excited for you to enjoy it with us today. And before we get started, I'd like to ask our listeners, if you're enjoying listening to our show, we'd love for you to rate us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts with a five-star rating. It goes a long way to helping this being a great little show for you on the latest and greatest South Bay real estate information. Thanks again for joining us, and let's get into it. Grant Alley, we are excited to have you on the show. I'm going to give everyone a brief, brief intro for you, and then we'll let you give a, a little more uh, conversation about yourself. But first and foremost, everyone, Grant is joining us this morning. Grant Alley is the vice president of sales at First American Title in Torrance. Grant has been in the title industry for over 15 years in the South Bay. Seems like longer. He's a wealth of knowledge. Grant currently works alongside his partner, Ben Sue, and together they provide and support on a wide range of real estate transactions. Grant grew up in Torrance and currently lives there with his wife and two sons, soon to be three. Congratulations, <laughs> Grant. Thank you. And welcome to the show, the master of title insurance here in the South Bay. I wouldn't go that far, but. <laughs> don't don't be humble. You know all there is to be in, in title. We're excited to have you. Grant, tell us a little about yourself. Tell us about you as a business person, personally, okay. whatever you want to share with the world before we get into it here. Okay. Well, a few things. One, you don't grow up wanting to be a title rep. That's first and foremost. I don't think people uh, grow up yeah. to be, want to be realtors either. That's fair. You kind of end up in it, right? <laughs> right. So, you know, title insurance is a is an interesting industry, but it's also a small part of the transaction. So it's how I make my money, but it's also something that I truly believe is necessary to execute real estate transactions. And we'll get, obviously get into that in a little bit here. I love it. And what I want to emphasize with title and title insurance is I don't think people realize or understand how important title insurance is and how deep it goes. 100%. Most of my clients have no idea, even people who have listed their home and already purchased before Completely. don't have the slightest clue. And when I educate them, much of which I've learned from you, people go, how come this was never brought up to me before? Or right. clients who didn't know about it in our transactions be like, yeah, I spent a good 30 minutes on your title report to make sure you were good to go. And I bring it up only when there's red flags. Totally. So I'm really excited about this episode to learn, have our listeners learn a little bit more about in title insurance, 
how important it is. And maybe they get their documents in order totally. if they have no idea. So why don't you explain a little bit about your business, why okay. it's important, and maybe layman's terms for sure. the average consumer. Sure. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, people don't really know about title insurance. They sign, They have to sign off on it in order to continue and close their transactions. Which normally they have no clue that they're, they're signing off they, on it. They don't know what, what they're doing. It's, you know, you're signing a lot of things at closing anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's typically when you're signing that document that says that you read and understand the preliminary title report. The title report's important for numerous reasons. It lets you know any restrictions, any entitlements on there that could be make or break for you. So it is important to read it because... You have leverage as a buyer in the beginning of the transaction when before you close. After you close, it's really hard to have any recourse when it comes to certain things. I mean, there's a bunch of different scenarios I could come up with, but of course. But yeah, so how let's just go to the basics. The basics simply are, you know, the way title insurance works is we do all of our work up front. A lot of times people don't understand when we work with, you know, the agents and the consumer is that we search both the person and the property. Liens against the property are unique to just the property, but liens against a person attached to all property that they own as an individual. So for instance, if there was a child support lien that you didn't tell your listing agent about and you knew you owed it and you didn't think that it was applicable to the transaction, we will find it and it will hold up your transaction if you do not talk about that in the early stages because there are things that you need, documentation that you do need to get uh, in order to close your transaction in that scenario. So let me just stop you right there to make sure sure our listeners understand. So obviously what you're talking about is, is when you open escrow on a home, you guys will find the mortgage that is recorded and needs to be paid off before you close. You guys will find child support liens that need to be paid off. What I want to educate people on just so they understand title, not everyone understands this. You hear about car title. Title is the chain of title or the chain of ownership along with mortgages and liens attached to a property. I want that to be clear for our listeners who don't know. That's the ownership to understand that a seller has full ownership and can actually sell this to you to make sure that you're buying it from the right person to actually own it. So if you don't mind just taking a quick step back on that, and then we talk about liens and and, and things of that nature, and then we get into it. Sure. So basically, when you get the preliminary title report as a seller or a buyer, for that matter, we go back, you know, 40, 60 years, we go past your ownership and we qualify each time that a deed was recorded to the chain of title. Now, the chain of title is basically it's attached to your property, the legal description or the APN and the address of the property. And under that address, it has all the documents that have ever been recorded. Now, the documents that are recorded are grant deeds, quick claim deeds, deeds of trust, which is your financing, and numerous other types of deeds and judgments and liens can be recorded on the chain of title. Now, when it comes to ownership, we make sure that we qualify the interest in the property. Let's say that you own a property with your brother. We're going to go all the way back and make sure that all of those transactions, all those quick claim deeds that were done to get you to how you hold title today and how you own the property are qualified and were done correctly. And that way, when the new buyer comes onto title, they don't have to worry about someone that will come back after the fact and say, hey, they forgot about my ownership in this property. We need to unwind this transaction and go back. I need to get paid for this. And fix this. Correct. So, Can you give us an example of an issue that let's say 
for some reason, a title company like yours at First American wasn't included. Can you give us a disastrous example of like maybe a couple that's been separated who husband signs off on selling, but the wife hasn't? What does that mean if a buyer buys it? Totally. Can you give that example just so people understand how significant this research is and why title insurance is so important? And there's a million examples. A million. I just gave that one example to try and frame it for people. I'll give you a very simple one that happened early on, and it doesn't happen as much anymore. But early on in my career, California is what's called a community property state. So let's say I go and buy a property and I never, it goes grant a married man as a sole and separate property, but I never deed off my wife's interest in the property. Community property means that in the state of California, that husband and wives or marriage, you know, anybody that's married, the spouse automatically has interest in the property, whether their name is on title or not. So you have to get rid of their interest, even if it doesn't show on there. Interesting. So there was a situation, a very simple one where, and it was caught pretty early after the fact, but it was a divorce situation. The husband sold the property. He showed a divorce decree that said that he got the property, but we never took care of the wife's community property interest on the property. And so we had to unwind the transaction and make sure that the wife got paid as well. Because in theory, if you close that transaction without her signing off, the wife could have claims to a 50% interest in that property. The buyers get the short end of the stick. The husband's right. probably in a whole world of hurt. And totally. that's in theory what title insurance is for, where if you guys miss that, you cover it. Correct. But 99 times out of 100, you guys are catching that and having the wife Correct. sign off to make sure everyone's taken care of. So do you see how, I mean, yeah. this is such a huge thing that no one ever talks about. No. And I want to bring this to light to some listeners. So great. Carry on. You guys not only figure out if someone has the rights to sell it and if the buyers are covered, but you have liens, mortgages, things of that nature that you guys discover. Go ahead and and continue talking about that. So oftentimes, you know, you need to, when you're selling or when you're buying a property, more importantly, you, you use your eyes. So if you have a house that has, it has a shared driveway with another house. On the preliminary title report will be an easement going both ways. There should be what's called an easement, which grants use to the other person that's adjacent to your property, your your potential property, and that person gives you access as well. So it's a shared benefit. If you do not have an easement on there, there's no recourse for you once you own the property. You are now having to negotiate with your neighbor. And we don't always know who our neighbor's going to be. It could be a good situation. It could be a bad situation. But what goes with the easement is what's called a maintenance agreement. They're usually built into the easements. This maintenance agreement defines at what point do you need to you know, repave the driveway? What would be the condition in which you would need to pay, redo it? And who, how do you share costs? How does all of that work? And that is very crucial, you know, if you're in that scenario, if you're the new homeowner and you're looking at that driveway and you both use it, but it's really messed up and it needs to be redone. If you don't have that easement and you don't have that maintenance agreement, that person does not have to help you. So you can be caught, the upfront work matters. And I know you do a lot of this with your clients. You go through the title reports with me. You ask the questions. I bring stuff to you. I read it with you. And I think that because you do that, that's going to help you in your career long-term catching things before you have to deal with them down the line. 
And I feel like we'd all want to do that. It's a big part of the business. And I think people's minds are blown when they learn about it. And I will tell you, I I think you solve almost all of the issues or answer questions where we can feel good. But there's about 10% of transactions where clients have to end up going to a real estate attorney to help them fix things on the title report. And as you said, you got to catch it before you close on the property because that's the only time you have leverage really to get some of these things ironed out, correct? so to speak. So that's a great kind of summary for us, Grant. Is there yeah. anything we should learn more about that? And I can try and even dumb it down more because sure. this is a really complex, I mean, this is a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar business, 100%. major lawsuits around this, huge law firms around title insurance and, and title in general. Is there anything else that clients should be aware of or, or listeners here? You know, especially in California, Going through probate, which is when someone is on title and without having the appropriate entity or having a trust on title or holding title in the correct way, they end up having to go to California probate, go Mm -hmm. through California's probate process. And California's probate process is extremely penalizing. A lot of people think that they are okay with just having a will Mm -hmm. in place. And it could be, you know, grandma and grandpa and, you know, their names, whatever, John and Mary Smith. And let's say they both end up passing away. They're just husband and wife, right? And they both pass away. And people think that the will is okay. Week in, week out, we have to deal with situations where we have to tell people to go to probate court. Probate court can take anywhere from four to eight months depending on both attorney and the court that you're going to be going through. Probably it's, longer now after COVID. In yeah, some everybody's, yeah, everybody's applying. There's mm-hmm. the, you know, the pent-up cases are now going through sure. the system. But the biggest thing here that you want to plan for is that it's extremely penalizing monetarily. It costs a ton of dough to go through the process. And a lot of times uh, judges won't let you represent yourself. So you have an attorney fee. You have the California probate fees that they charge, depending on the size of the estate. And you would be surprised at, well, probably not surprised at how much money they take in. So, you know, when you have a will, I would say that's probably the one of the biggest friction points that we come across. Having a will is not enough. You need to have it in a trust, which is one of the best ways to hold title. If you want to be completely bulletproof, there there are reasons to have an LLC on title. And, sure. and that's just a corporation that can go on a title and you never have to change the ownership on it with a quick claim deed, you can just change the operating agreement to with, with from a name right. or a trust or, right. or something of that nature. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Let me, I want to kind of maybe not put a bow on this because we sure. could, we could talk so much about title, but I want to give one example that sure. I think is we had with you probably five or six years ago, Okay, but we had an agent actually at our company buying a property for herself in North Redondo. She was a newer agent, so she would send her title reports to me to have a look. And I noticed, I went, look, there's one red flag on this that's talking about a boundary line, a property line being moved. And the seller owned two side-by-side lots and was selling one of them. That's right. Because they inherited it. And I told, and she was looking to tear down the property and build on it. I remember. You you remember this one. And I sent it to you and you go, Richard, you need to have this seriously reviewed because if you move a property line one foot, that could completely mess up your rights to doing any sort of building or remodeling in Redondo setbacks. And so we took that to an attorney 
And what happened was, is, is he went, hey, this is going to now be, because this was quick claimed or however they did it, move the lot line one foot, you would have an illegal lot in Redondo and they won't let you build. That's right. And so in escrow, the escrow ended up being like three to six months as a result of this. But the owner had to do a friendly lawsuit against themselves with a judge to con- reconvey that lot line back to where it was legal. That's incredible. And had to pay yep. for it all, where if my agent, aka they were their own client, they yep. would have bought the property, been stuck. And how could they ever have that seller move the lot line? They would have had to sue them if they didn't cooperate. But instead, finding it up front, like you said, in order for that seller to now sell, they have to move that lot line back for anyone to buy it. And it ended up saving probably oh. hundreds of thousands of dollars in in lawsuit. And that's 100%. not even an ownership issue. That's no. just a lot line adjustment that you were like, Richard, you need to go to attorney. Attorney's like, you got to fix this. And literally the seller sued themselves to have a judge legally move the lot line back from an old owner that did it, oh, it was, incorrectly. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. And so that's how important these preliminary title insurance policies are. And that Consumers need to work with their agents, their title reps, and sometimes attorneys. So 100%. hopefully that gives our listeners an idea. And you have probably some cr- even crazier stories oh. that we could get into on this. Totally. So like, totally. hopefully people understand how big this is. 100%. So uh, look, we can get into more issues. What do you want to talk about next? Do you want to talk more on the trust items and making sure people put it in properly? Do you want to talk about statistics? Do you want to talk about things you see off markets? Where's your head out in terms of things you want to share with our listeners? You know, there's a lot going on right now. Obviously, you know, aside from the title insurance industry, our industry is definitely in a world of hurt with, you know, inventory. It was already hurting before we had interest rates hike up, which took away the opportunistic seller, buyer, all of that because they, you know, the buyer might have to sell a property, but they would get a good price on it, you know, and then they'd have to overpay. So it was just a lot of dominoes that you know, it was, it was wild. Yeah, there's a lot of good data out there to kind of let us know where we're going. Are we talking data right now? I'll go into data. This Let's is, go. This, you know I love juicy data. Yes. And just for our listeners, title companies have epic data that I can't share with you guys because we have the MLS, but they are involved in every transaction. All the title companies share information so they see on-market, off-market, and big data trends that we just don't have. So yeah. Grant's about to drop some bombs on us, I think. (laughs) So I think what's important right now is understanding, I think sellers in general are having recency bias still, even now that it's been six plus months since interest rates were raised. And I think that we all need to kind of, you know, it's our job as real estate professionals to educate them. My job to give you guys data that you can use and your guys' job to condition the client to understand like, hey, this is what we're dealing with. We only have one chance at a first impression. First American Title is a data company just as well because we do all the recording of these documents. So we also decided to way back, you know, hundred years ago, decided to start keeping records and that, you know, we sell data to Apple, Google, everybody. So we have access to crazy, crazy data. But one of our data points that we have here that I have up here on my screen is the last quarter of last year, the average list to sold price. Okay. So... What that basically means is the list price is, let's say, this price was one million dollars, mm-hmm. and it ended up selling at nine fifty, okay. or you know, pick a dollar amount, and you could sure. come up with a scenario. Are there any South Bay zip codes that you're most interested in that you'd like me to bring up? 
I mean, you know the the markets I cover. I sure. go from Manhattan Beach to PV, so I say, you know, pluck any of those that in between there that you think look interesting. Per- perfect. So right now in a 90274, which is I know is one of your big zip uh, estates. Correct. The average list of sold price in the last quarter of 22 was 96.8%. So if things were selling for more than the list price, it would be over 100%. 100%. So we were having all these multiple offers, but you're seeing a reversal from that. The cool thing is that we're still seeing multiple offers. It's just we're not seeing, it's multiple offers, but multiple offers on, you know, on a sliding scale. Yes. Like we're not willing to pay that price. Interesting. And I know some of your data that you're going to be bringing up is definitely supports that. But Interestingly enough, out of the South Bay, kind of, we did a tight grouping. So mm-hmm. we did El Segundo, Manhattan, Hermosa, both Redondos, all of Torrance, and the Hill. We kind of kept it tight because you could do every city if you really wanted mm-hmm. to. But mm-hmm. the only city that was over 100% on their average list of sold price in, in Q4 last year was 90502, which I think is. I don't know which part of Torrance that is. I but, was going to say Torrance because I think 905. But I don't know. I think it's West. I, I'm not sure. I, I think 90503 might be West. But the point is, is that 90502 is the only zip code in the in our tight group of South Bay that is- Is getting going, over list price now. Correct. So everyone now in the fourth quarter, they're listing, they're selling. Some people are getting multiples, but on average, or really not average, median, whatever it is, is going for- percent lower, 3% lower, 5% lower below right. the list. And that to me is telling. And this is the stat that sellers need to hear because they need to understand that, like, listen, that first impression is very, very important. You have those first 14 days to really make that impression, really get people in the door. And what I think needs to be said is, that, you know, there's the way that we all search the MLS is we want to see what's new because we've already seen what's old. So that's why that first impression is so important. Totally. Sellers. Sellers need to understand the real estate industry. We tend to think that we already have seen everything Mm -hmm. and we only really want to see what's new. So when you do a price change, you've already lost a lot of your eyeballs. People aren't paying attention. They're not paying attention. And they don't want to spend their time because the price changers, most of them are way off anyway. So why spend valuable time? Exactly. That's a a great statistic. And I think that even shows where we're seeing prices fall in certain markets, both in Q4 and some on a yearly basis in select areas of the Hill and even Hermosa Beach. And my recent data that I did is going down. But to see price to list fall when we're used to 100% or 101%, that's a trend that when the buyers are firmly in control of that, of going, I can offer less now, that sticks around. That's now confidence with the buyers, sellers on their heels, and really a telling sign that people can't afford quite as much totally. as what they and, used to. And to put t- kind of tie a bow on it, looking at like the fact that you will, you put the, if you price it right, you have a higher chance of getting a higher price point. You know, obviously you're trying to make the most money, right? Mm-hmm. You have a, a better chance at getting a higher price point than you would if you price it between, you know, if you're looking at these stats. So absolutely. So it's it's something to definitely take care of and be very mindful of if you're looking to sell your house coming up, because, you know, getting these realtors will tell you a bunch of different prices, but you need to price it right. You need to price and totally. And and realistic matters right now. You giving the PVE sales numbers, I'm thinking of two scenarios, one seller I had in the fourth quarter and one buyer. Our sellers priced it what I thought was right in a market that was softening And they ended up getting one offer and they were smart in the first week and said, no, what? We don't want to mess with this market. And they took a lower offer for certainty. 
They yep. had already bought their other house. They the made a the really the smart the call, even though I said, you know, guys, this is a little low. Maybe we'll work them up, see who comes in. And they were just, nope, we're happy. A 5% discount. It's not the end of the world. We're still one of the, they were so smart about it. And then the buyers bought this, my buyer client bought this amazing view property, multiple offers. We offered, I think, less than 5% below it listing price, and we ended up making a deal. Wow. So your numbers reflect that. Do you have any numbers on, let's give a beach city, which beach city on that list? Is there a Manhattan beach? Oh, or yeah, 100%. One so, you want to share? So 90266, which is Manhattan beach, mm-hmm. is at 97%. So is uh, Hermosa. Actually, both north, south, Manhattan and Hermosa are all at 97%. Interesting. So they're right around what PV is experiencing as well. But it just kind of depends on the market where I know our PV areas are struggling a little bit more at this yeah. moment above PVE, where then like the beach, Manhattan, Hermosa are a little bit stronger than the hill. Correct. It seems like, okay, love that data because yeah. we don't get this grant. Yeah. So that's an interesting, I think, predictor of where the market is going beyond 100%. pending sales or yeah. inventory or or whatnot. I think it's time to like with our, everybody is putting out there these different stats. We need to dig a little deeper to educate the general public. They know what sells. They have access to this data. Totally. So us telling them is is a little, we need to tell them, but we need to tell them more in a macro perspective. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I think this is a, a good stat and that would be good to use in those situations. I love it. Love it. Any other data you want to share? You're yeah. like, that's some good ones for now. And I've you, got two other you, ones. Give, give us a couple others because um, this is great stuff. So I'm going to do free and clear okay. for the South Bay and the same zip codes. It's not going to be shocking at what the free and clear properties are. As in no mortgages Correct. on properties. Sorry, I, I apologize. I, no, that's great. I it, talk to realtors every day. Most people will understand, but yeah, just yeah. for the, the new listeners, free and clear meaning no mortgage on yeah. the property. I talk to realtors every day, so I, I do their lingo, you know? Totally. So, keeping in mind, we are struggling with inventory. And, and part of that problem is the older generation is not downsizing anymore. They're remodeling and staying or Mm -hmm. they're just staying. When we do any of our stats, so every day, Ben and myself will do meetings with different realtors and they'll have us look up different areas. And when we look up these different areas, every single time that we pull the turnover ratio, which is how many homes sold in that area, doesn't matter where it is, 100% of the time, ownership, the, the biggest seller in any market is 25 years plus. So, so they've owned for 25 years correct. or more. And th- those are the people That's selling. That's the largest mass. portion of sellers in our South Bay area. Doesn't matter. Pick an area. Pick San Pedro, Long Beach, Lomita. Doesn't matter. It's 100% of that. So it skews to the older generation, multi-decade owners. Correct. Okay. So, you know, and it makes sense to a certain effect. I mean, sometimes you live in your home and your income doesn't, the values of in that area rise up, but your income doesn't match that. So you can stay there, but you can't afford you can't to go qualify for a new up home or something like right. that. Mm-hmm. Or you have such a big capital gain, it goes over the exemption. So let's uh, pick a zip code for me and I'll, I'll hit you with uh, let's, the numbers. Let's do, we've already talked Manhattan and Hermosa and PV. Why don't you pick an area of Redondo? Okay, so- in 90277, South Redondo, South Redondo, we have 16, 1,653 single family homes that are paid off out of 5,142. Wow. So, so that's about over 30%, 30% of the market is 30, free and clear. 32% of wow. homes, single family homes in South Redondo are paid off. So let's just call it one third. And you start to think about that and you're like, wow, like- 
these are the people that it's not that we need them to move, but a lot of them don't have anywhere to go and they'd be willing to go. That's what all the stats are showing is that they are willing to go, but Mm -hmm. they don't have anywhere to go. It's like a, you know, the inventory issue is going to carry on because they don't have, the inventory is not there for anybody and it's not there for them to move, which would open up the starter home, the fixer upper home for those new families, the young families that are trying to build, you know, have children or whatever else, or trying to move into an area and are willing to fix up a property or whatever. So it's kind of an interesting stat. You know, the highest one is 90503, which is West Torrance. And mm-hmm. that's, I'll just say it's 33%. Wow. And I mean, so that blows my mind, even just from, and your home is a different type of thing where you want safety, you live there to live there, it's beyond an investment, but that's also just an inefficient investment strategy. And I'm not saying grandma and grandpa should put debt on their property, but some people, do you throw on a 30% mortgage that's really, really low that in some cases is tax deductible and you go buy a duplex somewhere in the yep. South Bay or in Texas, and that ends up paying the super cheap debt that you bought and you own another piece of real estate. And I'm not saying to do that for most people because there are probably some people who retired 10 years ago, their income never got up. But man, that's just a lot of free and clear real estate that is inefficiently used because in a lot of ways, you should have debt on your property in some way. Totally. Oh, 100%. And more for investment properties, duplexes, triplexes, apartment buildings. But man, even on your own home, to be free and clear in 25 years of ownership, my goodness, that's a lot of untapped investment equity. Big time. And the the one thing that I find that needs to be looked at by everybody Mm -hmm. is if you own a single family townhome or condo and and you rent it out, you absolutely could 1031 exchange that into something that could make you more money. It could literally, you could go from one door to just two doors. You don't have to take a big jump. And I know I'm venturing out of my title. No, you're crushing it right now. You know, I'm an investor. We've talked many times about this, but you need to create longevity. You need to create, stretch your dollar longer. And this is the way that you do it. And, you know, when you have a vacancy, you still have the other unit paying. And right now we know California's, you know, tenant laws and everything seems to be getting worse. And there's a lot of public, but there's so much opportunity here or out of state. Grant, you nailed it. And the podcast isn't live right now as you and I talk, but Mm -hmm. by the time your podcast debuts, that another podcast I have out and my number one recommendation for clients who I called in December If you rent out a condo or single family home or townhome in the South Bay, a lot of clients, it's their first condo they bought as a first time home buyer and they didn't sell and they kept it. And all of them I have called, I said, it's time to sell your renter and move into a duplex, a triplex, a fourplex, because the condo is going to be more resilient than income properties because income properties are getting hammered, in my opinion, even more with interest rates. I would tell you more than half of my clients have said, let's go and sell the condo and townhome and 1031. So you've nailed, we're in agreement of especially in 2023, condos and townhomes are going to be gobbled up by desperate first-time home buyers and you 1031 into triplexes and fourplexes that don't pencil for most investors. And you're going to create more wealth by doubling the value of your property and increasing cash flow. Without a doubt. So I love you and I are thinking in the same way. And now we're talking about it. I'm with you. What there's also on the same token, those are the haves. How about mm-hmm. the have-nots? If you're out there looking as a first-time home buyer and you're not looking at duplex, triplex, or fourplex, it allows you to afford more of that than you could ever afford of a single-family home. And what I mean by that is debt-to-income ratios. 
Those are, it's very important to look at that because the income from the lesser units in a duplex, triplex, or, or fourplex count as your income. So now your buying power is up and Read. you could do low down payment. It doesn't have to, your in is just getting into that investment property because within a year, oftentimes with the lending side of things, you don't have to live there anymore. It could go from a one-year rental essentially for you to paying for you to rent somewhere next to the beach or something, Agreed. whatever you wanted to do. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I feel like everybody as a first-time home buyer just looks at single-family homes, yes, townhomes and condos. And I just it drives me crazy because you can create long-term wealth for yourself if you just look in that direction. I, I know nobody I wants to be a not tenant. Anymore. No one wants to be a landlord, excuse me. But, you know, there's answers for that. And it's just, it's not that hard, especially when you live on the property. And if there's a fence in between, it's pretty, it isn't rocket science. People have been coming over from other countries and don't speak a lick of English and and buy a duplex and they manage the property and handle it and all that. It's so funny you say that because I have more clients calling me this year about doing the duplex or triplex buy as the first time. And a couple clients who have bought in the last year or two are starting to become addicted. They're like, oh my gosh, we got more rent because we did conservative rents. Now we've made increases on ours. We know we'll get even more for the three bedroom we're living in. Totally. And they go, we're going to cash flow, putting only 5% down, and we could go buy another property next year. And they go, we didn't think we'd be able to get two properties and be worth over two and a half million when we thought we could only buy an 800 grand condo. And so getting clients to think in that manner as, as first time home buyers is big. I'm glad you do that and know that that's what we always propose. Oh, you want to buy an 800 grand condo? What about a 1.2? Do correct. Bingo. So I'm, and you you. just moved, you just moved to a different zip code. Mm -hmm. You moved to a zip code that you might prefer to live in because oftentimes when people buy condos and townhomes, they're living adjacent to the area that they'd like to live in. So when we look at data and stats, oftentimes, almost, I'd say 90% of the time, the condos and townhomes in the area where we have single family homes is at least a percent higher on the turnover ratio. Interesting. How many homes sell, you know, compared single family compared to townhomes mm -hmm. and condos. Mm -hmm. It's almost a percent more in wow. almost every neighborhood. So it's just something to think about, you know, because people get tired of HOAs mm -hmm. and, and unruly neighbors that they share a wall with. They got out of that apartment to live in the townhome and condo and they're still sharing a wall. Yes. It's, like, it's just a bigger an apartment at the yes. end of the day. But uh, that's just my personal opinion. I have other data if you want to talk about it. Share more data. Okay. What do we got? Okay. So Ben and I, I was an assistant for a long time and Ben loves uh, data as well. So we both are, are very much into stats. Almost all of our business decisions are done uh, by stat driven. They're stat-driven decisions. We encourage our real estate agent clients to make those same stat-driven decisions. Don't, sure. don't go off on a gut feeling. Let's, let's get some data to back up your decision when it comes to marketing or otherwise. But what we found, we stumbled across a stat that kind of blew our mind. We can identify properties that are in complete disrepair within a 95 to 98% accuracy rate. How? I can't share the. Yeah, I that's can't share first the American, I you know, share. Chat GPG, whatever it is. No, uh, no, we, uh, AI. Okay, no, no, all right. It's, it, this is actually a, a unique to Ben and I. It's a lot simpler than we thought it would be, but okay. I, I'll tell you right now, it blew our minds, and it applies to other properties too. But it is most accurate with with single family townhomes and condos. So we just did single families with this. So pick a zip code. Let's do. RPV, because that has a, a older, uh, you know, just, and that's a gut. I don't have any data, but let's go 90275 RPV. So that's our, out of the cities that we did for this grouping, this mm -hmm. data grouping, RPV finished third, and we'll talk about barely finished third. 
Third and um, what in, so we in have, like properties of disrepair, the most disrepair properties? Correct. Out of the 15 or 12 zip codes, I guess, that we have here. So they finished uh, way down the line. Way down. Yeah. Okay. So out of 12,348 homes, mm-hmm. 118 of them are in the fixer oh, category. Okay. Now to get that 95 to 98%, we had to flex the, the math on it. But okay. We like to be more accurate than not. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that's done that that we don't see, right? You could go into your house and remodel it and not pull permits. Yes. And, and you know, there's so if there's, there's certain no things, records. right? So this, the way that we're doing this is more of a more accurate sure. flex on the data. Sure. So that's 118 out of that. I'm sure there are more. Probably more. There's but- probably more, but- being out of, for accuracy sake. Those are like very clearly 95% of them are going to need a lot of work. Correct. So let me, let me hop up the line. 90505 uh-huh. has 218 okay. out of 7,700. Uh-huh. Let's see. And then 90278, okay. which is North, North Redondo, Redondo. Uh-huh. has 152, but that's 2.9% of the entire amount of single family homes. Okay. But the biggest offenders, as you can imagine, because it's more legacy ownership, Mm -hmm. is Hermosa and Manhattan Beach. Interesting. 7.2% of Hermosa has- Because it's just, they've had incredible growth. You don't care if your property's in disrepair because it goes up a hundred grand a year and you bought it for five grand. You could rent out- You could rent out a a 250-square-foot studio with tons of money for it. Yeah, exactly. So people just don't- leave Hermosa. But the reality is, is circling back to our conversation earlier is that they need to flex. They could make more money per month. Mm -hmm. They could still live in that city because of the value of those properties. Sure. They could move out and still, you know, maybe 1031. There's all these strategy options, depending on the scenario that they could do to, you know, flex on what they have. Go from a tree section property to an East Manhattan property. Right. Something like Hermosa Sand to, right. uh, you know, wherever. There's some options for them to go. Right. So out of, for 90254, it's uh, 3,200 properties, 232 of them. That's a lot. Are, you know, fixers. And then 917 of those single family homes are free and clear. So you're just kind of like, wow. Some big, and there's, that's, you got to think that those will be some bigger sales down the road or hopefully more inventory in five to 10 years as the younger millennials come up, but maybe not. Maybe millennials inherit those and they go, we don't want to sell them either. So I, totally. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how all that shakes out. But that's fascinating data and also interesting for clients who want to send letters and go, we want just heavy fixers. Totally. Let's mail. 200 of these people or 400 of these people or find out the areas and go, we're going to mail them every six months saying we're buyers. We'd really love to buy your home in any condition. Let us know. And you do a transaction privately or you may, you know, let them go to the MLS and you make a deal, which actually kind of leads me to some off market stuff. If you don't mind talking about it. I don't. But before we go to that, I want to touch on the free and clear. Yes, free and clear. Sure. So all these free and clear properties with rates being so high, you know, it's not a perfect science, but you can figure out a seller carry back strategy with them. Oh, I love that. Where where they, you know, you can eliminate the capital gains hit depending on a scenario. Now, it has to be the right scenario for this to work. Yes. Otherwise, there are some tax implications. Sure. And, you know, we're not accountants, so we don't advise of that. But the strategy of targeting the free and clear properties, since there are basically 
a third of the South Bay is free and clear of properties in any given area. They yes. want to go, guys. They want to leave. They want to find something else. They would love, like, wait, you're going to pay me interest-only payments at 4.75% for the next, like, locked in for the next three or four, three to five years? Sure. Okay. No, the, and that's, we did an Instagram reel on this where we went creative financing in rising interest rates. If if you're at six, six and a half percent rates, go do seller financing. 100%. And if you can get four and a half, that's way better. Interest only, that's hard to obtain. And now you're moving in. Yep. And then you go, I'm going to wait for that right time in the next two to three years when yep. rates come down and refinance out of it. And like you said, there's a lot of great tax implications for the sellers. Not everyone's going to be comfortable. Not every oh, seller is going to be sophisticated to enough. Yeah, absolutely. But man, if you go half of those sellers or a third of those sellers are open and willing to do seller financing, it's a home run for both parties because the seller can probably get a little bit more. I know I pay more for a house if I got favorable seller financing terms and vice versa, sellers might go, I get a little bit more money and an income stream. So that's really interesting, Grant. I didn't even think about going, let's search free and clear homes and go well, seller finance. And they, we'll all, they need somewhere to go. A lot of times, think about it. The free and clear homes on mm -hmm. average, you would look at it, it's 35 plus years. Yeah. So if you get to a certain point, you're like, maybe they need to go downsize because mm -hmm. they're older. I mean, my grandmother needs to get out of the big house that she's yeah. in. So, or it's a rental that they just had a tenant and they go, well, I like the income. Correct. Well, you go, well, here is now you don't own it anymore. You have no more liability and you still get the income from my interest only payments and you don't hit, get that huge capital gain hit. So correct. Interesting, interesting, correct. interesting stuff. Okay. I'm glad you stopped me before yeah. I went to off market because that's a good spinning wheel. Do you have any, and I know you maybe didn't prepare it, but off-market is a huge topic. My listeners and blog readers know I'm not a huge off-market player. It's just not my style. I never advise my sellers to sell off-market. A few do, but they sign a lot of paperwork and it's for whatever reasons. But most opt not to do that when I tell them the drawbacks. What do you see? How much of the market is made up of off-market? Is it more significantly in Manhattan Beach? Is it more significant in PVE? Is it not? Is it zero in Hawthorne? Like, right. what do you see data wise if you have anything and how do they trade? You know, the luxury, the ultra luxury mm -hmm. you see off market, it's not a lot. It's not a ton. There have been waves of it in the last decade right. where it was a lot more at one point. There was a big three year window where it was a very prominent thing that happened. People, okay. people, I don't know if it's like people love the exclusivity of it or whatever. I, I bought that home off market. Yes. Like whatever. We sold that, our home off yeah, market. Yeah, sold our home off market. Mm -hmm. Oh, we did great. Like yeah. got the right price. All that's fine. But, you know, the stats show that on average, you know, you're losing three to 5% of money in your pocket. So you, three, you right, say for sellers. Sales price. Sellers yeah, are for selling sales. for less when they sell off market. It's and unilaterally the case. It's very rare. There are exceptions. There are exceptions where you have, you know, I had one last year where it was it was two brothers. They None of them lived here. Mm -hmm. And then they were selling the property and they're about to put on the market. And the cousin goes like, listen, I'll pay market value. Like what you guys deem to be far, fair market value. Like mm -hmm. give me a price. I'll yeah. pay it. I would love to stay in that house and be the person that, you know, continues our family legacy in there. Okay, sure. Totally get that. That's right. a different scenario. Sure. Than completely unique parties putting together a deal off market. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the free enterprise or the free open market to drive up prices, even if it's, you know, like a market right now where there's probably less multiple offers, but 
If you're not on the open market, you don't know what you couldn't get. Right. There's no way to statistically prove that. There's no numbers that support that. All the numbers are against it. Right. So why why would you make that decision? Uh, but, see, I'm I'm a bit, and from most of the off market deals I see, it's more these older generational owners okay. who maybe aren't as together and maybe get taken advantage of when it comes to pricing. Because younger owners, they have Zillow and Redfin. And although our agent industry really hammers those platforms, I don't mind them because they're a great barometer for clients to avoid making mistakes. And then they call their go-to realtor. But 80-year-old who doesn't go on the internet and doesn't know about these websites may think an easy transaction is the right deal when they're losing 5-10% to an investor. Yeah, they don't want to clean up the house. Yes. And so I feel like that's the majority. Do you have any idea of how much, and I know you maybe don't have the stats now, but do you know what percentage of the market sales are off market? It's very small. It's very small. Like 1% or 5%? Uh, it's fractional. It's fractional. So yeah. like a 1% range or a percent? Uh, highest, 1%? Would, highest would be 1%. Interesting. So it's very so as much press as this gets in Manhattan Beach, for instance, because I hear more about off markets in luxury Manhattan Beach, luxury Palos Verdes estates, it's still a fraction of the market. Right now, deals are less. Mm-hmm. So you might have a higher percentage of the total, right? Because there's fewer right. sales right now. So when things were, you know, like for instance, we just had this hot market. And if you sold off market, you were cheating yourself. Yeah, that was silly. I have several examples of that where a neighbor got, you know, 300 more thousand totally. in, in, in Redondo Beach, like South Redondo. Mm-hmm. It just blew my mind. But the point is, is, is you know, it kind of does a wave, right? It goes up and down mm-hmm. as far as the percentages are concerned. It's more in Manhattan, Hermosa. There are a decent amount in El Segundo, but still less than Manhattan and Hermosa. The Hill has some, but I don't think it's as much as you might think. Fewer than we think. Interesting. So for all the press that people do, and I even talk to agents and I go, why you spend 50% of your time networking for that one or two off-market deals and you're doing 20 or 25 transactions with your clients. That's so unfair to your other 20 clients who you end up doing on MLS, but you're spending 50% of your time off-market. I know it's considered a valuable thing to bring to clients, but ultimately I go, if you spend that 50% on your time, sure you miss out on one or two transactions. I'd much rather be focusing on getting that epic deal on the MLS or preparing your property the right way to get full market value or maybe a little bit more because you're a rare property. So thank you for sharing that. And I, just so that, you know, I tell clients to go, look, if someone calls you an off market deal that I'm not aware of, go do it. Mm. And I will tell you, almost every client never digs up that off-market property or they move to Manhattan Beach and rent because we haven't found the right one. And I'm excited for them to rent and get in the community. Yes. And they still don't buy the off-market property. They still end up buying on the MLS. And I go, great. If you find it, awesome. And I'll advise you on it and I'll stay out of the way. But still people end so, up making their deal. So I can, I, I will provide you with this in the future. I can provide you with those stats and we can. I would can, love that. I maybe I'll write a blog post about it and, and we can expand on it mm-hmm. another time. Sure. I love it, dude. Let's, you know, just to kind of put a cherry on top of this, because this has been so great, dude, learning title, some of the pitfalls, why you've got to do it. You had mentioned to me before we did this podcast about, uh, and you talked about it earlier, trust and estate planning. You had mentioned going, sometimes people should audit how they hold title because some people start mm-hmm. trusts or wills 
and they think they have their property in their trust, but maybe they did it incorrectly or didn't get the right people to sign off or they did the trust 20 years ago, haven't had an attorney review it. They did a document without a title company. Tell us some pitfalls that people should look at or the value of calling a title company and making sure your properties are correctly deeded for your trust. So how you hold title matters. You know, there are different ways to hold title that could have tax implications for yourself. So always consult your tax accountant as well, depending on how you file could dictate what type of, you know, it could impact your return depending on how you take title. So how you take title could be joint tenancy, husband and wife as joint tenants, or even Richard Haynes and Grant Alley, you know, single man as joint tenants, whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. There's community property with rights of survivorship. You know, typically the biggest friction points, unfortunately, and it's a subject nobody wants to talk about, but it, you know, death is always something that people um, have to talk about. And and it's always an awkward situation. But the reality is, is is when you're dealing with the loss of a loved one, you want to make sure the last thing you want to do is like, hey, did I take care of all the the stuff to make sure that we don't have to go through probate and all these other things that you have to do in order to settle the affairs. So one of the biggest things that, that I would suggest is, you know, if you're married, I would suggest first making sure that you have, if you don't have your trust at a minimum, make sure that you have talked to your tax accountant and find out if joint tenancy or community property of rights of survivorship is right for you and your filing as far as that's concerned. Mm -hmm. But also that gives you rights of survivorship. Joint tenancy, if me or my spouse pass away, the interest is automatically transferred. With community property and rights of survivorship, it's not the case but there are ways that you deed around that. So Mm -hmm. that's fine. But the point there, the biggest point here is to have rights of survivorship. The right way to hold title, I suggest for any family, especially any families with kids, is to have a trust in place. The way a trust works is you very clearly delineate how you want things to play out if something, God forbid, were to happen. Right. So it literally lines it out from top to bottom, from finances to the kids to the properties, everything. And the reason why that was created as a, in its original form to was what its sole purpose was to be a vehicle to bypass having to deal with California's probate, which we were talking about earlier and how penalizing that mm-hmm, is. Mm-hmm. So basically the way that, that you would hold title on that is if it's John and Mary Smith, it would be John Smith and Mary Smith husband as trustees of the John and Mary Smith trust. Trusts are not entities, which is a common mistake that people make. So if you hold title and, you know, you got to be careful choosing the right attorney, trust attorney to help mm-hmm. you with this right. really matters. I know a lot of people want to go on to legal zoom and work their way through it, but I, I can promise you that there are very simple mistakes that can be made of that course. can cost you money. So if you're holding title and it's just John and Mary Smith trust, that won't be recognized by the county and you will have to go to court to fix that. I don't want to get into the weeds. There's different right. things that you can do, petitions that you That's can do. That's fascinating because some people may put it into their trust and you're saying that won't. That won't work. That John, won't work. John and Mary Smith trust won't work, but John and Mary Smith as trustees of their trust. Will work. will work. So you've seen people do that and it's incorrect because it's got to be trustees of the trust signing off. So this it's some legal technicalities where if you get it wrong because you use legal zoom you had the right intention correct but it was done incorrectly and it blows your whole estate planning correct and another thing too is you know always if you do have a trust keep a full copy of it in any amendments when it goes comes time to sell mm-hmm. you will need that copy in order to if someone pat if a trustee passes away john or mary in the scenario we had before you will need a copy of that trust in order to sell the property Got it. 
and that stays with you, maybe stays with oh, in a lockbox, stays. No, I'm I'm not yeah, saying oh, you guys, oh, but oh, I'm sorry. saying if you have the copies, right. like stays with your attorney, and you have it in different places to make Correct. sure the trust and all the amendments are, are together. So holding holding title, and then the last thing you can do is you can hold it in an LLC or any other type of entity if you want, depending mm-hmm. again if you're self-employed. There's all these different tax implications, but. An LLC costs you money, but it also is a very good way to protect yourself. Totally. And then the trust can own the entity. So all sorts of plain. But man, this is how detailed title goes. And we, I think we just scratched the surface of this grant. Like we're going to, we're going to have to have you back on a separate deep dive topic for people to really understand how important this is. And if you guys, if any of you listening don't have a trust set up, I know that's more of a legal side, or if you do, you want to make sure you double check these things. Grant is a great guy to call. Make sure you have it properly in order because these things really matter. And it's just a little fraction of the business that you do and provide for clients. Totally. And as a part of your real estate team, you know, I'm always here to help your clients. And if they need to understand what's going on there, you know, we're a good resource to hey, what are the like buying, selling, refining implications of this? You know, trust attorneys are going to tell you the trust side of things mm-hmm. inside the trust and what it does. But that's real estate's only the small part of that. Right. Uh, actually, that, that brings up a good point. A lot of times we have people that are selling, doing a trust sale. And maybe it was grandma and grandpa and maybe grandma's gone and grandpa's still around, but he's in some type of care. Mm-hmm. It'll speak, the trust will speak to what you're supposed to do in the event that grandpa cannot act on his on his own. Got it. A lot of times when people do estate planning, they create the trust, but they also create a power of attorney. Power of attorney and a trust cannot be used together. Their powers are duplicated. So when you go, it, when it comes to real estate, when it comes to everything else, banking, healthcare, all that other stuff, the power of attorney works. So, you know, that's one thing. On the topic of power of attorneys, if you have a power of attorney for real estate and it's older than one year, you will have problems executing a refi or a sale of a property because a title company understands that the wishes of the person that gave the power of attorney obviously could change. Could change, right. And so we end up asking people to, as an industry, we ask people to get an updated power of attorney and oftentimes a specific if they're selling a property. Goes deep. It goes real deep. I mean, it's like every client we got to have, we got to call you on because everything is so detailed and deep. So, dude, I love the insight. Thank you for the amazing data. Thank you for the summary of title. You're a master at this. You're still (laughs) so young. We got years and years and years with you. So we're lucky to know you, Grant. And same as Ben on your team. Grant, before we let you go... Where can people find you if they want to talk title and title insurance? www.firstam.com, as well as our email addresses are grant at grantalley.com. And then we have ben sue title at gmail.com. Perfect. And, and sue is spelled H S U. Yes. There you so go. We're always here to help. Awesome. And you guys can reach out to us too, and we'll put you in touch with Grant and Ben again. Grant, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Until next Appreciate time. Appreciate it. All right, dude. Thanks.